All right, this reading comes uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and verse 11. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. On December 26th, 2018, uh, a Florida man drove his Ferrari 360 towards the water at Palm Beach Inlet. And as, as he approached the water, instead of slowing down, he in fact accelerated um, his car to its top speed. Drove down a dock and catapulted his $100,000 car out over the water. Um, at this point, I'm not really sure what he was hoping would happen. Um, possibly the Guinness Book for a long jump of cars. Um, possibly seeing if he could go fast enough to walk on water. Um, or maybe he just wanted to claim uh, the insur- insurance for um, his vehicle. But what we do know um, is the car floated for 50 feet before sinking to the bottom. Unfortunately, uh, this Florida man was able to get out alive and was reported to not be under the influence of anything crazy um, and told investigators, in fact, he did it on purpose. All right? Florida man. Uh, Last year, um, a 23-year-old Florida man uh, broke into an alligator farm in St. Augustine. Uh, He then... Yes, thank you. um, He then jumped uh, into a pond uh, infested with crocodiles um, called the Oasis on the Nile. He was bitten on the leg, uh, but fortunately made it out of the pond. He climbed back over the fence and crawled um, uh, until he was finally taken to the hospital um, and charged with vandalism. Uh, The police were able to tell the story based on one piece of evidence the man left behind. They were his shoes. And, you guessed it, what kind of shoes were they? Crocs, yes, all right, Crocs. Kids, that was for you, kids. All right, so if you're not familiar, um, these stories of uh, Florida men uh, doing ridiculous things has become known um, across this country as, what, the Florida man. Um, And that uh, because of this, the assumption is, what, all Florida men must be foolish, (laughs) All Florida men um, are ridiculous. Now, I am a Florida man, uh, truly born and raised. Um, And so in some ways, uh, these ridiculous stories are somehow ruining my uh, reputation. Um, And I don't like it. But you know, obviously, uh, this is somewhat silly. 
Um, and yet, here's the thing. In a very real way, um, the watching, um, unbelieving world looks at us, the church, like that Florida man. Uh, Jesus' reputation um, is being ri- ruined by the ridiculous and foolish behavior um, of the church. Unfortunately, what they see is a bunch of Florida men making a mockery of our Lord Jesus, tarnishing his reputation with our foolish um, behavior. You see, the world will make its decision about whether they're willing to put their money all in on Jesus, unfortunately based mostly on what? What they see us doing. That should be a little bit scary um, to us. But see, this is what was happening in Corinth in our passage uh, they were acting the fool. They didn't know how to handle conflict. And instead of handling these, these small conflicts uh, internal to themselves, they were taking it to the courthouse and, and suing each other and fighting about um, their issues in public. And Paul, as you heard, as I read, he's angry. He's angry with them. Um, why? Because it was bringing shame, not just on them or even on the church, but it was because it was the church that was bringing shame on Jesus uh, and on his name. How? Because what we do in public matters. What people see of us matters. And because uh, it is what people see that often uh, tarnishes what they think um, about um, Jesus. And so, um, the way we handle uh, conflict uh, in our church um, matters. Paul was so frustrated um, in in, in our passage in verse 5. He says the harshest words that he says in the whole book. When he says, I say this to your shame. In other words, shame on you. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Well, what about us? What about us? Um, You may be thinking, well, goodness, Eric, I I mean, I've never sued anyone. (laughs) This must not have much to do with me. Um, But I would would want you to see that this is so much uh, more than lawsuits. Um, This is what's underneath those lawsuits. Uh, he's showing uh, us that that was what was going on there, but we need to dig a little bit to find out what's going on here, um, even in our own uh, midst. And so uh, I know that we may not be going around suing each other, but don't dismiss um, the whole passage because uh, there's more to it. And we have the same sickness that the Corinthians had, it's just different symptoms. And we're filled uh, with similar foolishness and we need godly wisdom to guide us. So let's diagnose the problem and see uh, what healing the Lord's wisdom uh, will bring us. The first thing that we need to see is um, the compromised community. The compromised community. I'll tell you what I mean in a second. But first, um, I want to paint you the picture of what was going on. All right, and uh, I'm going to have a little uh, fun with Ben uh, here. I told him before the service I was going to use him in a little illustration. It's not real, okay? It's not real. Uh, First thing you need to know about this whole context is that the cases that were going on um, were not criminal cases, okay? So as, uh, as he's saying, these things don't matter. These are trivial things. He's not talking about uh, terrible things like violent crimes or, or murder. He's not talking about that. Um, he's talking about civil cases. All right, so let's just imagine for a second, I loan Ben my car um, because Ben is jealous of my sweet ride, my Hyundai Sonata, all right? And Ben just can't, uh, just wants to go fast, right? And so Ben decides to take the car to Cocoa Beach and drive it down the dock and see how much air... No, I'm just kidding. Ben's not, ben is not the Florida man, all right? Okay, but, but in, in all reality, uh, for the sake of the story, um, Ben uh, gets in a wreck, uh, and he totals my car. He's fine. Everything's good. After the initial shock of it all, though, you know, Ben and I start trying to figure this thing out. 
How are we gonna how are we gonna resolve this, right? I have insurance, but but we gotta pay the deductible somehow, right? And so um, I say, hey, you know, you did it. Can we, can we work on this? And, and Ben says, ah, I'll pay half. Because if your ride was really as sweet as you said it was, it wouldn't have made, I wouldn't have gotten an accident, right? Your car is lame. Um, so here we are, Ben and I, in a conflict, right? I'm saying, hey, man, pay the deductible. He's like, I'll give you half. And so what I do um, is I'm going to sue him. I'm going to sue Ben uh, for the other half. And, and here's where it gets juicy, because see, in, in Corinth, in, in uh, where uh, our letter is that we're, re- that we're reading, um, when you would go and do this, um, you did this in public. So imagine uh, that the courthouse that Ben and I have to go to is not the courthouse where, you know, you go into a room and it's all behind. No, no, no. This courthouse is between the Dr. Phillips Center and City Hall, you know, in that grassy area. And everyone gets to watch these, these cases just come and, and go. And gets to watch people as they, um, as they go through uh, all of this. And so here come Ben and I, right? And we're mad at each other, and we can't agree. And, and you can imagine what people are starting to say, right? Um, aren't those guys Christians? They can't even figure this out. Wait a second, wait a second. Aren't those guys, don't those guys work for that church, New City? Right? Aren't they on staff together? Aren't they, aren't, aren't they supposed to be able to figure this out? They're, these Christians can't even deal with their own problems. Yeah, they're trying to, they're so busy telling everybody else what to do, but when it comes to their own conflict, they've got to come out here um, and figured out that is what was going on um, in Corinth, and Paul is saying you're bringing shame on the church. That's why Paul says uh, it's the unrighteous. You're going before the unrighteous. He's not talking about just the judge. He's talking about everybody that's watching. He's saying, look at what we're doing. Look at what we're doing. We're making a scene uh, for the whole world uh, to watch. Now, why does something like this happen? Right? Why? Why were the Corinthians in this place? And Paul tells us the lawsuits aren't the problem. It's that their vision for what the church can be, that was their problem. See, their problem was that the, their view of what the church could be was too small. It's too little. It's too low. It's, it's pessimistic. It's, it's cynical. We've compromised the compromised uh, community. We've settled for less. Do you know where this whole thing is going? <laughs> Do you know that there's a vision much grander even than us just sitting um, in, the, in this room right now? Do you have a vision for this church, for your church, and for your part in it? Or do you even care? (laughs) Some of us just come and we show up, we do what we're supposed to do, but we don't even have a vision for what what could be. And this is what was going on in Corinth. They had lost sight of who they were. What about us? Have we lost sight uh, of who we are? And so that's why uh, in verse 2 in the passage, Paul starts asking these questions. And they're kind of crazy questions, right? He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And he says another one in verse 3, do you know that we'll judge the angels? It's a little bit bizarre, right? What is he talking about? But what Paul is saying is, did you forget who you are? You are the great community of God's people. See, he starts talking, uh, uh, the passage, he starts referring to all of us as saints, Holy ones, people, people that are a part of this set-apart community uh, of God. Why? Because he wants us to see that, that we should be uh, different, that we should be a different community uh, from the rest of the world. That was one of the frustrations with Paul was that uh, he was saying we should be different from the rest of the world. They should notice us, but instead we're acting just like the world <laughs> and going to them to sort out our problems. We don't have the worldly wisdom. Um, we have godly wisdom is what Paul was fighting for. And so Paul, he paints this amazing picture for us. 
of what could be. And we just, we just need to reflect on it for a moment because I would be willing to bet that very few of us actually think um, uh, about what it will be like um, in the future, what it will be like uh, in heaven. He says that we'll participate in some way. Now, there's some mystery here. I don't, I don't understand it all. But he says we're going to participate in some way um, with Jesus in, in, in bringing justice over the world and in, in judging the world and non-believers. It's like the grand scene out of, a, out of an epic movie is <laughs> the picture that he paints. You can imagine the, it's like this, this courtroom and Jesus is, is seated there and, and, and we're somehow seated with him is what Paul is saying. We're going to be sitting with him and, he's, and somehow we're a part of this whole thing. Just imagine that for a moment, that you're a part of that. But he takes it a step further he says, don't you know that we'll be judging the angels? Now, some of us don't even believe there are angels. <laughs> or we don't have any theology. We don't even know what to think about it. And, 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 and Paul says, no, let me tell you, they're real, and we're going to have a part in, in, in judging them and bringing justice uh, in the world. And so what Paul is doing is he's startling them. He's, he's just uh, putting this out there. He's trying to kind of take a hold of them and shake them out of their foolishness, right? Shake them out of their, their petty uh, view of what's going on and how they're being petty towards one another and trifling towards one another. He's trying to draw them up into this grander vision of what could be, what can be, and what will be uh, one day. It's such a contrast. You can imagine that picture of, of me and Ben right, in our lawsuit with one another. Um, fighting uh, over the car insurance deductible. And Paul is begging for Ben and me to see the bigger picture. Give us some perspective on what's important. That, listen, this is a trivial thing. And so, and so Paul's frustration becomes clear. Do you realize that the same person that you have this little problem with is going to be the same person that you're sitting uh, with Jesus with, participating in this end-of-the-world thing that's going to happen? That's the same person. He's wanting us to, to shake us out of our foolishness and get us to see that. Eric and Ben, you're going to be in heaven with Jesus, bringing justice. Did you forget that? What about you? I bet if I was to ask uh, many of us, um, don't you know that one day you'll be judging the world and judging the angels and all this, you might say, well, I, I knew that. But then if I added, you'll be judging that world and doing all that with the person sitting next to you in the pew. That's when you might say, nah, I don't know about that. I can't really imagine that. I'm not sure uh, of what that would uh, look like. Listen, our view of church community is so low. And Paul is begging us to restore it. Do you believe uh, what can be? So listen, what happens? What, what happens if, if we know um, who we are as God's community? What happens? What does it change um, in the present? Uh, one of the uh, commentators that I read said this, We have an astonishing destiny in the future. So now we have an astonishing responsibility in the present. That's what it does. When you know where this is all going, it makes you realize how important right now is. And the responsibility um, that we have, it puts things um, in perspective. When you see how grand of a future you have, it makes you say, man, I'm not really sure this really matters, this small thing that I have going on right now. It makes you say, I would go to battle with that guy. Be like being in the trenches, right? Uh, that you would, you would go to battle with this guy and say, I, I, want, I want to be a part of this. I'll fight through this. I'm going to fight uh, for community. Are we willing to fight uh, for that type of community? What happens when we don't do this? What happens when we don't do this? Well, we become the Florida man. <laughs> we give a bad rep um, to the church. 
And this is really what Paul was most frustrated about. It's why Dan Kimball wrote a church, they like Jesus but not the church. The world out there feels that way. I can get what this Jesus do, but y'all, I don't know. Y'all, we, we, can't, we can't come together. This is giving the church um, a bad reputation. And it's not just about any one church. He's, he's not concerned about New City having a bad reputation, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the church across um, our, our, our city, across our country, across our, the world, um, having a bad reputation. Why? Because when that has a bad reputation, it's giving Jesus a bad reputation. And so Jesus said, You'll, they'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you love each other. And clearly in Corinth, they weren't doing it. But what about us? I think this passage begs us to ask the question, is there anything we here at our church, inside of our fellowship, inside of our community, that we might be doing that's bringing public shame uh, to the gospel in the eyes of the world? And I don't know, but it's a question that we need to ask. Because see, uh, what, what Paul is wanting uh, us to see is that we should be the city on a hill. Uh, we should be uh, the city that's shining light out into the world. Uh, we should be known for justice, not having to go somewhere else to get it. But unfortunately, I think a lot of the world would say, y'all are the laughingstock of justice. You're not bringing it. We should have people streaming into us and say, how do you guys do that? How do you guys deal with conflict like that? How do you guys uh, reconcile with, with one another? How do you go out into the world uh, and bring justice? It's what, it was what was true of Solomon, so much so that the queen of Sheba came to him and said, I, I don't know what you got, but I want it. This wisdom. How are you, how are you working this out? How are you providing um, justice? You see, what we need uh, from, this, uh, 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 from what Paul is telling us is we need to realize that we bring the church with us wherever we go. We don't get to leave it here, right, on Sunday. Um, we, we, we don't just represent ourselves as we go out into the community. And I'm also not trying to say we represent New City, although that's true. What I'm saying is we represent the church um, wherever we go, and therefore we represent Jesus. And so that means that everything that we do, it either helps or it hurts that reputation. What are we going to do? So I want to encourage us uh, through this first point that we need to have a, a new vision, a, a re-envision uh, the church. Bring it to its, its rightful place. Bring it to this place where we recognize just the part that we're going to play uh, in this uh, one day when we're all uh, uh, judging and bringing justice uh, to the world. We need to reimagine that and remember that it's not just you, it's all of us. All right, so first, the compromised community. Let's restore it. Let's, let's have a new vision, a grand vision of what the church could be. But next we need to talk about the committed community. The committed uh, community. Verses 6 through 8, um, Paul changes from calling us saints, all right, the holy ones, the ones who are set apart, to calling us brothers and sisters, all right? I think he does that on purpose. Why? Because first he's trying to let us know a, a beautiful picture of the way we should operate, different from the rest of the world. But now he's talking to us and he says, y'all need to relate to each other like a family. Last time I checked, you don't get to pick who's in your family as much as you wish you could. Our family is assigned to us, right? It's, it's a part of uh, where we find ourselves. It's a part of God's uh, providence. And Paul is saying, listen, you're a family. You're committed to each other. Now fight for it. So the way that certain people make you angry, maybe even here in, in, in this community, maybe the people who annoy you or frustrate you, that's a sign. 
But it might not be the sign you think it is, which is that they need to figure it out. It could be a sign that God's wanting to do something in you, right, as, uh, as much as he wants to do something in them. And see, this is what was going on in Corinth. Um, they were in conflict. People uh, were wronging each other, and instead of being able to handle it, they were taking their, their ball and going somewhere else. All right? And so it's important, to, it's important for us to see that conflict is not the problem uh, for Corinth or for us. Because conflict is normal. If you don't have conflict, I actually don't think you have a healthy church. Because if you don't have conflict, it means I don't think you actually are in community. No conflict is not a sign of health. It's a sign of distance. <laughs> it's a sign that you must not be rubbing shoulders with people. So see, conflict's not the problem. It was resolving the conflict that they were having a problem with. That's where everything was, was falling apart. And so I think this passage invites uh, us to remember, how, how do you have conflict? How do we have conflict the way that the Bible would, would, would have us do it? And I'm not going to go through this whole thing, but Matthew 18 is a place where you can go um, to remind you uh, of what conflict is. But back in our passage in verse 7, it says that to have lawsuits at all, to have them at all, says that with, with one another is already a defeat for you. You've already been defeated, the fact that you've gotten to this point. And so like the, the, Corinthian, like the Corinthians, the first step of reconciliation is where we already admit defeat. And what's that first step? Just to go talk to the person that you're in conflict with. We don't like that. We don't do it. But we will do what? We will typically talk to other people, right? We'll complain or we'll gossip or we'll slander or whatever. Um, And I'm not saying I have anything in mind. I'm saying that's our human heart is to go somewhere else except for the place where it is. (laughs) To go somewhere else except for where the conflict actually um, lies. And so uh, Matthew 18 says, don't do that. Go straight to them. Go straight to them and say, there's something wrong here, right? Right? Tell them what has happened. That's what it says. The goal is to have this moment of of reconciliation. That the person who was wronged can come to the person who wronged them and and tell the story of what happened. Can tell them about the the damage that was done and what happened. And and then explain to them what they lost in the process. And then the person who did the wronging um, can respond. If they're able to see themselves clearly. And can say, oh my goodness. I don't want to do that. I see what I've done. I've wronged you, and I don't want to do that again. I repent. Will you forgive me? See, that's what conflict resolution looks like. And I know it's not that simple. Matthew 18 knows it's not that simple. That's why it's a long process and bringing other people into the mix and, uh, and, and all of that. It's not an easy thing. But Paul, back in Corinthians, is frustrated because he sees he's not necessarily frustrated with the, with, with the two people who were having this conflict. He was also frustrated with the whole community that they were just letting it happen and weren't acting like the committed community. They were saying, oh, whatever, you know, they're out there doing their thing. I'm not going to worry about it. Rather than going and saying, wait, guys, let's figure this out together. And so Paul is frustrated that they didn't see the foolishness of their actions. So it begs this question. It's uncomfortable uh, for us to be in each other's business, I know. And I know that there's ways that this can go all sorts of wrong, and so please don't hear me um, saying anything I'm not, other than um, that Paul is begging us that we would enter in uh, when we are wronged and would work towards reconciliation and would fight for it. That's what a committed uh, community does. That's what the community of God's uh, people um, will do. And do you know what? The watching uh, unbelieving world is waiting for us to do that. 
Because what they see instead is as soon as something goes wrong, I'm gone. And the watching world would say, when are you guys, when will you fight for it? When will this community fight for it? The community of God's people is something worth fighting for. We're reminded of this each Sunday at communion. When, when uh, we're told that if uh, uh, in, uh, Jesus tells us, if, if you have a, 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 something going on between you and another brother or sister, go and reconcile with them before you come to this table. That's how serious he takes uh, this commitment um, to the community. So listen, I know it's okay that we would have disagreements. That's the true part. We can be reconciled uh, even through um, disagreements. That was what the Corinthians couldn't figure out, is how do we disagree and yet still be reconciled? That's going to be true uh, of any committed um, community. And how? How do we do this? We've got to apply wisdom. We've got to apply uh, wisdom. The Corinthians lacked it. Verse 5 says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? The irony is, is the Corinthians bragged about how much wisdom they had. <laughs> and yet they had none of the ability to even come together and figure this out. And it sounds somewhat familiar, I think, because it's easy for us oftentimes to brag about our right theology or right thinking or whatever. But do we have wise theology? Do we have a theology that's able to bring us together in reconciliation? The issues that we have disagreements about are complicated, and we are so prone in our culture to think it's either this or it's that, and there's nothing else. And you look at Solomon and how he dealt with, with uh, disagreements and, and, and having two women hold a, a baby that they both said was mine and pull it apart. Talk about a creative solution, Right? We need that kind of uh, wisdom uh, to the issues that we face uh, on a daily basis. What's, what's our version of all this? Uh, what's our version of lawsuits? I don't think there's, as I've said, many of us suing each other here. Uh, but, but the underneath, what's under that? I think, uh, how do we apply this? When someone uh, comes to us and says that we're wrong about something, what do we often do? We run away. Um, especially if you're of my generation, the younger generation, we're, we're very sensitive. We can't handle being wrong. And when someone addresses us uh, in our life, our, our, uh, oftentimes the, our posture is, how dare you say something, right? And we run away because we think that doing something wrong is, uh, now I'm worthless. But, uh, but we need to fight for this. And we need to fight and say, no, uh, if someone comes to me, it's actually because they love me. That's what a committed community is. A community where there's real love like that. Uh, the other way we do this is uh, we leave the church, right, when we're mad. Paul was saying, no, fight for it. Don't you know you're going to be judging the world with these folks? Don't just leave. Fight for it. Go back. Um, get in the game. All right? So listen, I would ask you, what's your version of all this? I know we all have one. What is it uh, for you? So now... <clears throat> We know what the compromised community is, and we need to re-envision it. We know what the committed community can look like. Now, how in the world will we ever do this? Where do you have the power to do this? Is this even possible to be a part of a community that will have conflict with each other, that, uh, to be a part of a community that will choose to talk to each other instead of only talking about each other, a community that fights for each other even when they don't necessarily like each other? How, how do we do that? Well, it's the last point. Uh, we need to be the cross-shaped community. The cross-shaped community. 
Many, many of uh, us might say, gosh, that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, and we're sort of like, Paul, do you not know? <laughs> uh, do you not know that this is what it's going to be? No, I didn't, Paul. I didn't know that's how it's going to be. Um, because I think it's kind of ridiculous. But then verse 7 hits us. It should hit you, as I read it, it hits you right in the face. The end of verse 7 says, Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Want to know how to do this? We need to take on that. The ability to, to, to suffer wrong, to, to be defrauded. Where, where in your world uh, are you willing to be wronged? Where in your world uh, can, are you willing to be uh, defrauded? Because it says um, this is how we have that committed community. Where in your marriage um, are you willing to be wronged and not be right? Where are you willing to suffer a little bit of wrong? Where in your, in your parenting um, are you uh, willing uh, to be wronged? I find myself <laughs> unbelievably uh, continuing to fight uh, with a six-year-old. <laughs> Realizing that this is not about right and wrong right now. This is about me being a parent, right? Um, <clears throat> will I uh, suffer the wrong? Will I, uh, will, are you willing to suffer wrong about your political view? Uh, I heard from Carl Ellis, uh, a, a great theologian in our midst, also a teaching elder in our, con- in our uh, denomination. He said, the church is a minority people group. <laughs> when have you heard that? When, he said, when we start to realize that, when we can start thinking in this way, and we'll begin uh, to come together as a committed community. When, 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 when will we start to think like that? Where else will you be wronged? Will you, will you be wronged when it comes to issues of race? And what I mean is, will you be wronged when your view or the way things that you view the world isn't exactly the way someone else views it? Uh, and instead of you just pounding your fist and saying, no, this is the way it is, uh, will we listen? Will we go to each other? And say, I want to hear what's going on. I want, to, I want to get inside of your life. I want to hear your story so that I can understand. Where, where, where will you be wronged? Where, where is God calling you in your life to suffer a wrong? Do you know how many times Jesus um, has given me and you grace and that I have chosen to throw it right back into his face? See, this, this makes no sense um, in our mind um, that Jesus would continue um, to give me grace. See, the wisdom of the world says, you get yours if someone wrongs you. You have full rights um, to get it back. But the wisdom of God says, no, why not rather suffer wrong? The wisdom of God says, why not rather be defrauded? The wisdom of God is foolishness to us. It's crazy talk. Why would we ever do that? But see, the wisdom of God says, I'm going to send my own son to die on a cross, even though he was innocent. The wisdom of God says, I will send my own son to suffer wrong um, and be defrauded. The wisdom of God says, not only did he suffer a gruesome criminal's death, even though he was innocent, he did it so the enemies of God, that's us, could have our sins uh, washed away and be given the perfect sinless record of Jesus. That's why verse 11 is there. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You will never be willing, I will never be willing to suffer wrong unless I'm reminded uh, uh, daily that Jesus suffered wrong for me. It'll never happen until I take that on. I will never be willing to suffer wrong or to be defrauded until I'm reminded daily that that I was once in a place uh, of complete rejection of the Lord. And you didn't clean yourself up. 
Verse 11 reminds us, we were so broken, beat up, and messed up, we had to be washed by Jesus. We couldn't even wash ourselves. You'll also never be willing to suffer wrong if you aren't reminded that the people who wrong you also had to be washed by Jesus. This isn't so we have a a jaded view of the world and can't trust anyone or think that everyone is out to get us. No, it's not that. It's just the fact that we are all equal opportunity sinners. Do you remember where Jesus was crucified? He was crucified outside of Jerusalem, outside of the community. This is because Jesus had to be expelled from the community of God's people willingly so that you and I could be a part of the community of God's people. The Florida man is one man who does foolish things and ruins the reputation for many men. But Jesus is the God man who is the one man who by his perfect obedience and willingness to suffer wrong earns me, earns you a perfect reputation before the Lord. We aren't a part of this community because we earned it. We're a part of this community because we were adopted into it. So the question for us this morning is, will we cherish that gift? That Jesus didn't just die to give us forgiveness of sins and a way into heaven, but Jesus died to make us a part of something bigger than ourselves. He died to make us a part of the church. Will you catch that vision? that we will one day be with Jesus, but we will be with Jesus together. And therefore, we have a responsibility to be together right now, right here in this place, to be committed to each other. And will you remember this morning that we are a part of this cross-shaped community, not because we earned it, but because we were washed by Jesus, we were sanctified by Jesus, and we were justified by Jesus.